Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We were last in China as the Han Dynasty gave way to the Three Kingdoms period. That was followed by the Jin Dynasty, the last 100 years of which were plagued by the chaotic 16 Kingdoms period. Then we had the period of northern and southern dynasties, with China divided, you guessed it, into a north and south. Finally, in 581, China was reunited under the short-lived Sui dynasty, who were overtaken by the Tong dynasty in 618 CE, so just a few years before Muhammad and his followers went to Medina. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, China was Game of Thrones for century after century. China thrived during the Tong Dynasty. Its capital of Chang'an was the largest city in the world at that time. Trade along the Silk Road was as strong as it ever was. The Silk Road, again, was basically a network of trade routes that enabled goods to travel from China to the Mediterranean and everywhere in between. Now, today's film takes a bit of artistic license, so bear with me as I recap the film, knowing that some important pieces are fiction, but there's still plenty of factual elements to discuss afterward. The movie opens in the year 689. The opening titles tell us that Empress Wu will soon be crowned as the first female emperor after having served as regent in the seven years since Emperor Gaozong's death. Officials and nobles resent the idea of a woman usurping the throne and conspire to overthrow her. So basically she's already in charge and we're on the cusp of her formalizing that authority. A massive statue of the Buddha is under construction, and things quickly get weird when one of the foremen giving a tour of the construction site spontaneously combusts. Like, yes, he catches fire seemingly from the inside and burns to death. And don't worry, for all our sakes, that's not historically recorded. It's just that type of movie. As astonished as everyone is, they they look for a practical cause. Perhaps he was burned by some yellow phosphorus planted on him or something like that. And around this time, we hear first mention of Detective D, whose past treason has landed him in prison. A general goes to report what happened with the burning man to the Empress. Again, technically the soon-to-be Empress, but she is in charge. And another man burns to death in the exact same manner right in front of the Empress. With a mystery of this caliber, they go to free Detective D to enlist his help. Soldiers from the Empress arrive at the prison just in time to fight off assassins trying to eliminate D before he can help. D goes before the Empress, where he doesn't deny that he did oppose her regency. She appreciates his honesty, and D is placed in charge of solving this mystery of the Phantom Flame. Hey, that's the title of the movie. D is teamed up with a young woman named Jinger, the Empress's maid and right hand. Some believe the fires are being caused by black magic as punishment for disrupting certain sacred amulets, but D isn't buying it. D is portrayed as a quick-witted and clever character, someone who never takes any situation too seriously. Those who oppose Empress Wu, as D himself had, try to convince him to join their side as assassins continue to come after him. But D's only concern is solving the mystery. After his pet bird burns up and becomes the third victim, Detective D figures out that the weapon is a poison that's triggered by the exposure to sunlight. There's some mention of fire beetles thought to be extinct that could be the source of the poison. To find answers, D and Jinger venture into the dark underbelly of the Phantom Bazaar. We're told that Luoyang City was built a thousand years ago, diminishing during the Han Dynasty, 
Then, during the Sui dynasty that immediately predated the Tong dynasty, the new city was built directly on top. The Phantom Bazaar is a remnant of the underground ancient city. I will cut in here to discuss Luoyang City. It's actually far more ancient than the movie lets on, at least this area is. There may have been a capital city on the site 2,700 years before the time of Empress Wu, and another settlement 1,800 years before. But yes, the first city with the name Luoyang was around 1,000 years beforehand, as mentioned in the movie. It was even visited by the Romans during the time of Marcus Aurelius. During the Tang Dynasty, Luoyang was a city of around 2 million people, and today it has more than 6.5 million people. Anyway, in the Phantom Bazaar, Dee is looking for the mysterious Dr. Donkey Wong. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't name the character, sorry. Donkey initially runs from them knowing that Detective D is bad news. The Imperial Chaplain shows up and tries to kill Donkey before he can talk to D. There's some Chinese stylized fighting, though different from both that which we saw in either Hero or Redcliffe. Jinger says it's not really the Chaplain. She and a third member of their party run after whoever it is, and D is left alone with Donkey Wang, who pulls acupuncture pins out of his hair and transforms into someone else. Or rather, having the pins in, held in place his previous disguise. This is another one of the fantasy elements of the movie. And D flashes back to earlier in the film when Jinger stopped his hand before he could touch the back of her head and begins to wonder if she's really who she seems to be. Donkey tells Dee that he had been the court physician and experimented with fire beetles before realizing how dangerous they really were and went into hiding. Dee is told by another court official that the Empress ordered the chaplain to kill the previous emperor, but then this guy is assassinated by a poison bolt to the head immediately afterward before he can elaborate. The Empress tells Dee that she denies these accusations. She says the emperor died of liver disease. She claims that she rules under the mandate of heaven and that she's just being vilified for being the first woman ruler. Dee heads to the chaplain's monastery to confront him, despite the Empress's warnings that it's sacred ground and he'll be killed upon entering it. I actually started getting a little confused here as to who was on whose side and who was betraying whom, etc. Anyway, the chaplain is revealed to be Jinger, who had indeed been disguised by the same acupuncture pin technology as Donkey Wong had. She admits that the Empress initially wanted her to kill Dee and that they set up the monastery to take out political opponents. But she also says that this phantom flame is not their doing, and an assassin takes her out at this moment as well. Finally, everything comes back to the giant statue of the Buddha. One of the foremen has rigged it to fall on the palace during the Empress's coronation. Everyone who had been killed off this whole movie was to conceal knowledge of this plan. Dee confronts the foreman and is able to kill him with his own fire poison. Dee can't stop the statue from falling, but he is able to divert it so that it misses the palace and the Empress is saved. Dee calls her out on all her shady political maneuvering. He says he'll accept her rule and no longer seek to undermine her authority for the sake of stability for the country, but that she must agree to return the throne to the Tong dynasty after her rule. The movie closes by saying that in 690, Empress Wu became the first and only female emperor in the history of China. In 705, she retired and returned the throne to the crown prince, honoring the promise she made to Detective Dee. So, sorry if that rundown was a bit of a mess. It does flow better when you're actually watching the movie, but it is also just a constant, fast-paced procedural, for lack of a better word. One review called it a cross between Crouching Tiger and Sherlock Holmes. But yeah, historically, the plot itself is just a fabrication. There was no giant Buddha statue, and certainly no fire beetles. Well, there are fire beetles, but not ones with venom that make you ignite in the sunlight. At least that I know of. 
Anyway, Detective D is based on a real person. His name was D. Renja. Basically, he was just a really well-liked and well-respected government official, a man of strong principles, serving variously as a judge, bailiff, chancellor, and things of that nature. But it's hard to discuss D further without first exploring who Empress Wu was and how she came to power. Wu Zetian was born around 624 CE into a fairly wealthy family and her education was encouraged. At 14, she became a concubine of Tang Emperor Taizong, something the ambitious girl may have actually seen as a great opportunity. When Taizong died a decade later, Wu Zetian had bore him no children, which typically meant that she was to be relegated to life as a Buddhist nun. But Taizong's son and successor, Emperor Gaozong, really liked her and may have even had an affair with her while his father was alive. He took Wu Zetian as one of his concubines as well, and he may have actually done so at the urging of his wife. Not to get bogged down into all the exact details, but Gaozong's wife, the Empress Wang, had no children. This meant that the Emperor's children by his concubines were in line for the throne. The Empress was likely jealous and initially saw Wu Zetian as a way to mitigate the favor shown to those concubines. Well, it backfired and Wu Zetian became Gaozong's favorite, and still ambitious, she gradually gained more and more power at court. When Wu Zetian's baby daughter with Gaozong died in his crib, Empress Wang was blamed. It's unknown whether she actually had the child killed, it just happened to die anyway, or as many believe, Wu Zetian may have been so ruthlessly ambitious that she killed her own daughter as a means to bring down the Empress. In a controversial decision, Gaozong officially deposed his wife as well as another favorite concubine and elevated Wu Zetian to Empress Consort. Empress Wu later had Empress Wang executed. This all went down in the year 655, so Wu Zetian would have been about 31 years old, and we're still more than three decades before when the movie today opened. The following year, Gaozong replaced his eldest son as heir with his son by Wu Zetian. Over the following years, Empress Wu continuously expanded and solidified her power. As Gaozong's health became an issue, she stepped right up and made decisions on his behalf. She was very calculating in eliminating those who questioned her authority at court. I like to make comparisons to Game of Thrones when I talk about China. Well, in Empress Wu, it's easy to see Cersei Lannister. Though Cersei cares deeply about her children, whereas for Empress Wu, they became her rivals. Her eldest son and heir to the throne died suddenly around the time he began challenging his mother's authority, and it's commonly believed that she had him poisoned. When Gao Zhong finally died in 683, it was his and Wu Zetian's third son who became emperor. But he was quickly deposed in favor of his younger brother for, again, daring to challenge her authority. This younger son, Wu was able to control, and though he was emperor in name, he was nothing more than a puppet for his mother. Though it wasn't even as secretive as the term puppet would imply, she ruled the country fairly openly. In 690, when Empress Wu would have been in her mid-60s, her son officially conceded power to her and she declared herself ruler of a second Zhou dynasty, the first of which had ended nearly a thousand years earlier. This declaration of power and the ceremony surrounding it served as the background for our movie today. So back to Detective D. His life, frankly, isn't as interesting as that of Wu Zetian, it was during the reign of Emperor Gaozong that Di's career advanced. According to Wikipedia, in the year 676, he judged 17,000 cases without any complaints being brought against him. Di wasn't afraid to stand up for what was right. He challenged the emperor to prosecute a favorite official against the emperor's initial wishes. Later, when Empress Wu was still ruling through her puppet son, some of her people were killing alleged conspirators without due process, and Di openly challenged them on this. And this led to Di being demoted. Later, Dee was falsely accused of treason, but confessed in order to avoid execution. 
and he was demoted again and exiled, but later promoted and brought back into favor. Again, most everybody just loved this guy. Di encouraged Wu Zetian to keep her sons as heirs and not to name her ambitious nephews. She did ultimately follow Di's advice. The Empress began fondly to just refer to Di as the state elder, and when he died in the year 700, at the age of 70, she supposedly wept that the southern palace, where Di worked, was now empty. Di's tomb is in Luoyang, yes, the same city we saw in the movie, and bears the inscription, The Tomb of Di Renjia, famous chancellor of the great Tong dynasty. So, an important, popular figure, but how exactly does that translate to the star of an action-packed detective mystery? Well, Di Renjia was first used as the inspiration for an 18th century Chinese detective novel. This book was updated and translated in the 1940s as the beginning of a series of books about Judge D. Finally, there were several TV versions over the decades before, in 2010, we finally got to Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame. The movie has an 80% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, though audiences weren't quite as fond of it. Despite some confusing elements, I did quite enjoy it myself. It's a visual spectacle as well, and I've definitely undersold that aspect of it. It won 6 of 13 nominations at the Hong Kong Film Awards, including Best Director. In the year 705, a severely ill Empress Wu stepped down and returned the throne to the same son who had been her puppet. The short-lived Second Zhou Dynasty was replaced by the restoration of the Tong Dynasty. And it wasn't as simple as the movie claimed of her keeping a promise to Detective D. As I like to say, history doesn't do simple, but the result was basically the same. It's worth noting that other women did wield power in China, just never as formally so as Wu Zetian. In the movie, she mentioned the Mandate of Heaven. This was an idea in Imperial China that the Emperor, or Empress, ruled by virtue of the blessing of a higher power, or of the universe itself. Basically, the natural order of things had chosen this person to lead. This was a way for new dynasties to not have the need for a genetic claim to past rulers, as we see with many European monarchies. A nice way to convince those not quite sure if you're the one who should be leading, claim the mandate of heaven. And if no one else is strong enough to challenge your claim, you're the boss. It's definitely similar to the Western idea of the divine right of kings, wherein only God can hold a monarch accountable. After Wu, the Tong dynasty would rule China for another 200 years before the country was, yet again, divided into multiple feuding kingdoms. Elsewhere in the world around this time, Mount Edziza in what is now Canada appears to have been volcanically active, and the newly Muslim Arabs captured Carthage, claiming it from the Byzantine Empire. Now, due again to a dearth of appropriate movies, next week we'll travel over 300 years into the future, but geographically speaking, it'll just be a quick hop across the East China Sea as we travel to Japan for the first time on our journey, and see a pair of noble-born children sold into slavery to the titular... Sancho the Bailiff. <laughs>